UFC 260's past, but it's still twitching a bit. I'm Tommy from MMA On Point. Let's get it into the examination room and find out what exactly happened. The fourth pay-per-view of the year saw 10 fights with four KOTKOs, two subs, four decisions, three UD, one split, for a total cage time of one hour, 40 minutes, and 37 seconds on a five-hour broadcast. All but one betting favorite was a victor tonight, the sole dissenter being Jamie Malarkey over Kama Worthy. A KO in less than a minute, he's going to earn our Parlay Killer Award. The main event marked the 46th heavyweight title fight in UFC history if you count interim titles, and I am. With his second round KO finish of Stipe Miocic, Francis Ngannou becomes the 22nd undisputed heavyweight champion of the world if you count repeat reigns, and I do. Ngannou landed 15 more significant strikes at 36 total in this encounter with Miocic than he did in their first, even though that fight went the distance. Francis was credited with the first takedown of his career by fight metric, and now on average he only requires 14 significant strikes to get the job done, earning him our Dr. Manhattan Award because that is some godlike power. Vicente Luque's submission win over Tyron Woodley marks the first sub-loss of his career and fourth straight loss for the former champion. He's been outlanded in significant strikes by his last four opponents, 327 to 114. Sean O'Malley's third round stoppage of Thomas Almeida marks the first third round stop of his career. All others but one came in the first, a regional scene victory from 2016. Miranda Maverick moved to 2-0 in the UFC. She's also a PhD candidate at Old Dominion studying industrial psychology. Look at the big brains on Maverick. One final notable, Alonzo Menafield became just the fourth ever fighter to win in the UFC via Von Flu choke. Apologies, I mean the Von Pru choke. But the stats can only tell us so much. Let's dive deeper. What is up, everyone? Welcome to the autopsy, the post-fight analysis of what happened at UFC 260. For everyone joining in right now, this is the live version, the very special live version. We will also do a shortened down edited version of this. So everyone that's here on the Extras channel, this is our secondary channel, you're getting that bonus content right now. So I introduce myself. You guys know me. I am the co-owner of the channel along with Tom who edited that beautiful intro there of Tommy's voice who did a great job there as well. I'm here with PT today. How's it going, PT? How was uh, how was your night? Amazing. What a, what a night. Um, I believe this is the Nganu era that we're going to see before us now. Amazing. I wish we had a bit more clarity on the John Jones situation, but beggars can't be choosers, my friend. Yeah, we're going to we're going to learn a little bit more about that as we go through this and of course we got Lot in here with us running the show behind the scenes. Appreciate What's going you. on everybody? Good morning. Late night into a good morning as always. So Yeah. Casual behavior. Casual know. behavior, baby. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, so let's go ahead and jump right into our first segment. This is the cool down. This is where we go through the post-fight reactions. And so the first thing that we have to start with absolutely is Francis Ngannou himself and what it was like going into this fight with such a different strategy, being more calm and a totally different game plan and actually throwing bombs at Stipe and him walking through it for that first round or so. So cue that up. The goal, the game plan was uh, to be relaxed, not to rush at all, calm down, and uh, you know because my team uh, they know that that's the moment that uh, I have the best of myself when I'm relaxed. You know I'm not rushing to cut someone's head. I've been here before, and he's tough. I know he's tough. There's nothing surprise about it. Uh, don't get uh, uh, overwhelmed. Calm down, and you know reset. Yeah, so clearly that strategy worked out for him in spades. Absolutely beautiful performance. So you have to wonder, what is next for a guy like that who's on the streak that he's on? He was asked about Stipe as well as somebody by the name of John Jones out there. So let's see what he had to say about that. Mm, no, I don't feel any. 
he said, uh, I won't be a, champ a champion until he's uh, retired. So maybe he retired. But if not, uh, I'll still be down to fight him. You know, uh, I had a lot. I lost against him, and he's, he stand at uh, the greatest heavyweight of all the time. So he makes sense uh, for me to still fight him if, if needed. Obviously, John Jones make, uh, make more sense for me, but uh, either way, I'm going to fight. I never ask less. I always ask to be active, and uh, I hope with, uh, with the belt now, I'm going to be more active. I'm going to be able to do two or three fights per year. Yeah, so he sounds pretty much open for everything, and I love that sound of two to three title defenses a year. It's been a long time since we've seen that in the heavyweight division. Absolutely beautiful stuff, but I think the most powerful thing here was talking about going back home, and he's actually talking about, like if you listen here, relinquishing the belt and giving it back to his community. This is incredible stuff. Somebody asked me, like, uh, what do I going to do with the belt? And I was thinking, I was saying... Maybe we're going to find a place in a public place in Cameroon and put it there so some kids can look on it and he inspire them. The, they will understand that uh, as a symbol of determination. And so you naturally have to look at this and wonder, you know, what is Dana's reaction to everything going on here? What does he think about this performance? And uh, yeah, let's listen. He looked incredible, man, and uh, obviously you saw a lot of things from him tonight that we hadn't seen from him in the, in, the, in the past. Head kicks, leg kicks, really good grappling, takedown defense, scary. Yeah, he, he, looked, he looked perfect tonight. Hard to disagree with that. I mean, he truly did. I mean, I, one thing that we were comparing it to last night on the stream was actually Conor McGregor versus Eddie Alvarez. He didn't just do it. He did it pretty much flawlessly. And uh, so then what does he think now about this John Jones thing? And this is where the comments get really interesting. We can already see the reaction from If Casey I'm John Hitch. Jones and I'm home watching this fight, I start moving to 85. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you guys this all the time. If you can say you want to fight somebody, you know, but do you really want to? Is that we can fight? make that fight tonight, John. Call Hunter right now. Do you want the fight? I, I promise you. We can call Derek Lewis or one of these other heavyweights, and they want the fight. Ooh. I got to admit, that is a pretty funny first line. Like, if I'm John Jones, I want to go down to 185 pounds because that's what a normal human person would say. But, of course, John Jones is John Jones, and he was tweeting about the thing, which we'll get to. He was tweeting about it all night, so we'll get to that here in a bit. But, uh yeah, um, yeah, we'll, we'll get a chance to talk about that a little bit later on. But uh, Vicente Luque, this is somebody I feel has been overshadowed a bit by all this. Uh, he had an incredible performance. And um, yeah, let's dive into this one here where he talks a little bit about um, Woodley's strategy and how Woodley really came out looking for the kill. So let's play that. For some reason, I always get the best version of every fighter, and I'm good with that, you know. I get ready, and it's good because it never uh, lets me underestimate my opponents. I really like the fight, how it went, because I showed a little bit of my wrestling, which I've been working so much on. And, yeah, guys cannot take me down that easy now, and I, and I can keep on standing and, and striking. So, yeah, it was a great fight. Yeah, absolutely. Outstanding performance on his end. He, he went right through that fire that Woodley brought to him. And so, yeah, the next thing here is as well, talking about how he got rocked at one point. It was not smooth sailing at all for him, and he talks about that sequence. 
Yeah, he connected uh, a little bit behind my ear with a strong right hand. Ended up connecting. Thank God I have a hard chin. But for a little bit, I lost a little bit of my balance. I kind of saw two or three of him. But I knew at that point, he's going to come and try to knock me out now. He came in trying to knock me out. I hit him clean, got him hurt, and then eventually worked for the finish. Yeah, great sequence there. Uh, the question is, though, you have to be asking yourself, who does this guy fight next? The division's in a weird place. It looks like there's a title fight there and possibly Leon Edwards versus Colby. A lot of people are talking about having Kiesa up against Stephen Thompson next. Vicente's already lost to Stephen Thompson, so that's a bit of a weird one. So what happens with him next? Let's see. The fight I really wanted... Kamaru took it. I wanted to fight Masvidal. I think that fight would be a banger. That's why also I called out Nate Diaz. I think our styles match perfect. And if he's interested in coming out of retirement, I'll not fight a top five to fight him. So it sounds like he's about as confused about who's going to fight next as the rest of us are. He's calling out everybody uh, out there under the sun. Those would be banger fights, though. Absolutely, by every stretch of the imagination, they would. So let Dana also seems a bit non-committal. It seems like nobody really knows what to do with him here. And also on, you know, Woodley, there's big questions of whether he should retire, if he'll continue in the UFC. Here was his reaction. They came to fight, you know, both, obviously Luke, you know, a, a rising star, a kid on, on the up. And, and Woodley, who takes a lot of criticism, uh, you know, that kid came to fight tonight. And, you know, he, he went out on his shield tonight, man. He, he, he came in to fight. Yeah, so no big decisions there, but at least it was complimentary to both men, which I think is the right call. You know, sometimes you don't want to make those decisions right off the bat. And I'm happy for either man to just, you know, put on a great fight and we can make decisions later on that. So that's that's a better Dana White than we've seen on the, even earlier on in the night with the John Jones stuff. So I, I, I'm happy with that. But then let's move it on to Sean O'Malley. Sean O'Malley had a comeback performance coming off that Cheeto Vera, non-loss, real loss, whatever you want to go by, considering his own metrics of being 13-0, uh, and 0, I think is what he considers himself now. But uh, he has a pretty comical reaction to what this fight meant. That was a big fuck you to a lot of people. I've been getting messed <clears throat> for eight months. I've been having to deal with weak ankles, so um, it felt good. Yeah, I mean, uh, pretty straightforward. A big fuck you. I like it. And then, uh, yeah, so he had some interesting comments to say about viewing his own fight, so about it going longer and, you know, being a three-round affair before he got that finish. Here was his thoughts. The amount of times I watch, rewatch my fights is is ridiculous. I'm my number one fan. I think that's why I've improved so much. I'll record every single sparring round I do, and I'll watch it. I'll watch it in slow motion. I'll send to sweet clips to, to my coaches. So, you know, so, so the fact that I got to go an extra round and a half or whatever it was, you know, I'm, I'm okay with that because I'm going to go watch it 100 times. <laughs> so uh, I remember that we were talking about this before the stream came on. We were talking about how Limp Biscuit. There used to be this joke about Fred Durst being caught listening to his own music in his car. I understand you got to watch tape on yourself, but you don't have to be your biggest fan. I mean, come on. Uh, but there you go. He's happy. He's proud. I'm glad he had a good night. Great performance. But then, uh, yeah, so what do we do with him next? I want to fight before the end of the year. So that's his, I, I don't know when. I don't know who. Um, you know, I want to get back in the gi. I want to go. I want to train. I want to get, you know, get better. Uh, and that's my number one priority. So nothing promised but activity there. So uh, interesting. A lot of great matchups there. 135 is an absolute shark tank. Cheeto Vera, who he just lost to, is number 15 in the division. So he's not even in the ranking. So a lot of interesting matchups out there for him. 
Here is Dana White talking about what happened as well. He put on a, a masterpiece tonight. I mean, he picked him apart, stayed on the outside, and basically did whatever he wanted to do. You know, th thought he finished him, and then finished him again in the third round. So really couldn't bet up, put on a better performance than he did tonight. You really could have argued that there should have been a stoppage in that first knockdown. So, I mean, Dana White makes a great point there. Flawless performance. Absolutely beautiful stuff from Sean O'Malley. Return to form like never before. Nobody did ask him, you know, in the first and second round. We did see him wobbled a little bit on that leg. We never did see anything about that, unfortunately. But as far as that goes, that is the post-fight press reactions and what people had to say after it. With that being said, let's go ahead and go over to the social media portion of this. With our friends, PT, what do you got for us today, my friend? Some huge reactions, obviously, online for UFC 260. A massive result in the main event with Francis Ngannou becoming the UFC heavyweight champion. And we've picked out some of our favorite tweets of the night, so let's have a look at some here. I believe first up is my good friend Adam Cattrall from BT Sports, who says, Francis Ngannou is the biggest success story in whole of sport. He was homeless six years ago, living in a car park in Paris. He just smoked the greatest UFC heavyweight of all time. I mean, this is going to be a motion picture already. We can already see it. This is just an unbelievable story. I believe next up is Dovi, is it? Yes, Dovi. Francis Ngannou worked at the sand mine since he was a kid, traveled across Africa to France, homeless in Paris, started training at the age of 25, maybe a bit later than that, buddy. <laughs> UFC heavyweight champion. Um, but yes, obviously an amazing take there. What a story this is. Um, next up, it's Teddy Atlas, who was absolutely sensational on the tweets last night. If you want to know what a champion looks like and behaves like, Miocic showed you all that for the past five years. Tonight he showed how a champion goes out, heart and class, champ forever. Hard to argue with that. Went down on his shield. What a brilliant fight he put on with Nganu. A complete reverse from the situation we saw in January 2018. Next up, who have we got? It's The Rock, my good mate. Wow, that was <laughs> dominant. What an incredible goat run Stipe Miocic had. I thought goat things last forever, but anyway, nothing but respect for that guy. A huge congrats to my brother, Francis Ngannou. The era of the Predator begins. Hard to argue with that. Mr. Dwayne Johnson, a man who I wrestled with many times throughout my life, but we won't get into that now. <laughs> who is next up? We got the John Bones oh, Jones one. this guy. Uh, I've heard of this guy. I believe he's some kind of big deal. He is saying, show me the money. John Bones Jones targeting Francis Ngannou. Clearly wants to fight. I believe this tweet shows us what the issue is and why Dana White maybe has some reservations. Here's another one. I've been working my butt off, gained all this weight, have never lost a fight before. Now all of a sudden I am scared. What bullshit. Yeah, it's a very, very weird situation. Here we go, another one. I've been fighting my whole adult life. This shit just don't feel right when you feel undervalued. It's not an issue of wanting to fight. It's an issue of wanting to be paid better. Let's make that clear. I'm hearing you loud and clear, John Bones Jones. I really believe that this is one of the biggest fights the UFC can make. So why not break the bank to make it happen? Um, what else have we got there, Lawton, baby? Oh, Dylan Glenn says, Vincente Luque is big time. Vincente Luque has always been big time. That dude is a problem for anybody. And yes, of course, he proved that last night, not only just striking, he proved some proved to have some great grappling, holding Tyron up against the fence, and obviously then submitting him with the Darce choke. Very well-rounded performance and a real star-making moment for Vincente Luque, I believe. Who we got? Oh, my good pal, Ariel Helwani. Uh, hard to watch Woodley lose like that, but it was clear he made a conscious effort to be more aggressive this time around, and he was. Landed some big shots earlier on. On the flip side, 
Luke is supremely tough. Deserves more credit at 170. And Dominic Reyes chimes in. Huge respect to Tyron Woodley. Came out swinging and went out the same way. Warriors on his shield. Hard to argue with either of that. I mean, Woodley being the legend that he is, is kind of overwhelming Luke's part of this story, unfortunately. I think we all wanted to be this big moment for Luke, but Woodley, of course, a former champion and, of course, a, a huge story now as he has four losses in a row. What's going to happen next? We do not know. What we got next? Oh, it's Derek Brunson who uh, mm-hmm. had a bit of um, a flutter last night on the <laughs> John O'Malley fight. I'm betting the house on Thomas Almeida. Let's see if I'll be homeless by the end of the night. But luckily for him, even though he is now homeless, Sean O'Malley has reached out and he said, I've got an extra room at the crib. So Sean O'Malley, nice guy, lets people into his house despite betting everything on them losing. So yes, a fantastic night of tweets. We are now going to move it on to the final analysis. So Jay, take it away, my love. Yeah, so for, (laughs) thank you, my love. So for anybody watching this right now, this is the live version. We will actually go through and have a full-on discussion with everybody watching live right now. So let me go ahead and say this to the people watching the edited down version on the main channel. You are now watching the edited version of this. If you want to watch the long-form discussion, if you want to watch the long-form discussion, you can actually click the link in the description to come over to this. So that's just a note that I'm making for the uh, main channel version. But everyone here, stay tuned. We're going to give our final analysis for that main cut version. Once we're through with that, we just go into the live chat. So everybody start pumping out questions, comments, anything you guys want to talk about. But right now, what we're going to go ahead and jump into is our final analysis. So it's our one-minute take, kind of like the Kumite Crunch, if people are familiar with our live chats on Wednesdays. And uh, yeah, I say we probably go with PT here first and uh, just give us a quick one-minute narrative take on this whole thing. What do you think about UFC 260, my boy? Mine really isn't about UFC 260. It's what's come out of UFC 260. Dana White, please don't mess this up. This is a very rare situation. We have a fight here that makes sense in terms of meritocracy and it makes sense in terms of the fan, boy, fan base. Everybody wants to see this fight. John Jones and Francis Ngannou for the heavyweight title. If you're talking about Francis Ngannou and Derek Lewis as the alternate for this, please remember that is one of the worst fights in the history of the UFC's heavyweight division. So on one hand, you're saying John Jones v. Ngannou, but we have Derek Lewis and Ngannou. It just doesn't make sense. Every time John Jones fights, you tell us he's the best fighter in the world. It's It's time to start paying him like he's the best fighter in the world. This investment in this fight will also pay back in making Francis perhaps even greater than he already is. I think they need to make it happen, and I really, really hope they do. Yeah, Lawton couldn't figure out how to work the timer there, so we're just going to... It was just going to be off if I started it late. That's why I was like, I'm counting in my head, so... Yeah, so let's just go ahead and get that prepped before mine. Turn off my lower third. Hey, there we go. Now you can set the timer up. So he had to ghost it for you. All right, so, um, yeah, I'm ready whenever you are. All right, one minute starting now. Yeah, so without a doubt, Nganu has poised himself to be one of the greatest of all time. He just beat the greatest of all time in spectacular fashion. And, yeah, it's towards the end of his career. He's 38 years old. Who knows how long Stipe could have gone if Nganu wasn't there. But Nganu, you know, he's 34, so it's not like he's super young himself. But it looks like for the next few years, this guy will be on top. If he looks anything like he's looked in his last four to five fights, I think the Derek Lewis fight makes the most sense in the most immediate future. Then we do John Jones by the end of the year. I think we let that guy bulk up. Let's not rush it. 
And then, uh, yeah, Luke poises himself right in the middle of the stack of the division. He's just outside of the top five. The guy is damn good, and he proved it. Woodley, unfortunately, probably is time for him to either leave the UFC or think about retiring very seriously. And then as it goes to, um, you know, Sean O'Malley, he's proved that he really is one of those prospects like we thought he was all along. And he's recommitted himself towards that fact. So great event. I thought it delivered. Tons of finishes. Beautiful night of fights. Great stuff. Cool. Uh, And then, yeah, so then what we will do, so this normally will be the end uh, if we were watching the full edited version, but we're just going to play Tommy's clip and then go straight into the live chat. So time to get those questions queued up and let's hang out. Sounds like PT disagreed with some of my final takes there, and I want to hear about it. So let's chat. I'm going to tell you. Yeah, I'm going to tell you. Well, actually, you can't talk. You're muted. Um, <laughs> no, you're all set. So uh, let's go ahead and play this uh, final analysis from Tommy, this beautiful edit from uh, Tom being done here as well. So, yeah, here is the final analysis from Tommy Told. Now that the cards had a thorough examination, it's time for a final analysis. The king is dead. Long live the king. The UFC Heavyweight Championship is truly a remarkable phenomenon. Going back as far as the UFC has had titles, the rich history of that belt has seen destroyer after destroyer take hold of it. And even though prior to Stipe, no one man had ever defended it three times successfully in a row, look at how many were thought to be unstoppable. Who could possibly beat Mark Coleman, Andre Arlovsky, Kane on his second reign, Miocic of course, until DC became the double champ, then Miocic again. We were talking GOAT status should he put away Ngannou a second time. But the title was violently and spectacularly taken from Stipe last night by the new heavyweight champion deemed unstoppable. And maybe we're right this time, but the fact that we keep believing it in a division that's seen so much turnover at the top is truly a remarkable thing. When you're the best heavyweight in the world, that's it, the discussion is over, which is what makes this move by John Jones so damn interesting. A capstone moment in a career of dominance. This may very well be the most intriguing heavyweight bout in the sports history since Fedor versus Krokop. Probably ever. Let's just hope the UFC doesn't get in its own way, because opportunities like this don't come around very often. Yeah, beautiful stuff there. I mean, uh, the heavyweight division has been that way from the beginning. You can actually watch my video about how Stipe got the belt, and some of that is out of date by now, but the overall history and the legacy of the belt is talked about. And it actually went to pride for a while in a lineal perspective when Randy Couture won the belt from Marie Smith after Marie Smith shocked the world beating Mark Coleman, went over, lost to Ensign Inoue in Japan. He, he left the UFC uh, just because of financial disputes. It was the dark ages. And so you just saw it basically play hot potato all throughout its history. And the longest streak in the UFC was three title defenses. Stipe held that. And that's why a lot of people, including myself, hold him up as the greatest, certainly UFC champ, I think. And I would put him probably as the greatest heavyweight champ. But if Ngannou looks like that, and he can do that two more times, he's already tied Stipe there. I mean, this guy is coming along so quick, so fast. It's just phenomenal stuff here. So, um, yeah, it sounded like you disagree with some of my takes there. You were shaking your head during my final analysis. And by the way, chat, this is the time to start hanging out. So appreciate you guys for joining us for this live discussion. Uh, yeah, what, are your, what were your thoughts there, PT? I could tell you had some thoughts. This Derek Lewis thing. What are you talking about? I'm, I'm like, oh, you're not why, on board for why that. in the name of God? Why, uh, why in the name of God would you do that? Right? In July, right? So Ngani wants to fight in July. The reason why you got to do Jones in July is Stipe isn't at play. He's going to have a six-month ban. He's not going to be able to fight uh, until October, September. 
As, as soon as you wait and you put someone else in front of Nganu, Stipe is back at play, which once again could give the UFC a choice to start leveraging another fighter off him because they'll say, Stipe was the greatest heavyweight champion of all time. We have to put Stipe in the fight. So I think you got to do it now. These situations, as Tommy just said at the end there, they don't come along that often. Mm. And, and I feel like if you're paying Jones, like you can understand where Jones coming from here. Like this is the scariest dude in the world, like, you know, 60 pounds heavier than where he had his most successful reign. So I think you got to pay him. And the money shouldn't be looked at like, let's make John Jones' bank account bigger. They should be thinking about this is an investment in Francis Ngannou because if he can beat John Jones, it'll be one of the greatest years in the history of the sport for any mixed martial artist. You're beating the greatest heavyweight of all time and then a guy who is uh, considered the greatest of all time in the sport. So I feel like you got to make, hey, well, the sun shines and this is the time to make the Jones fight. I'm sick of hearing about this money stuff. This is literally going to be one of the biggest fights of all time. Please make it happen. We have an opportunity here. Let's do it. Yeah, that's a bullshit-ass take, bro. Uh, <laughs> so this is why I think Derek Lewis. So, A, Stipe Miocic, I don't think he belongs in uh, the discussion for an immediate you know, trilogy shot, just in the same way that I don't think Francis Ngannou deserve to be right in an immediate rematch and yes he's done some great things as heavyweight champion but it just wasn't close it just wasn't i don't want to see a man like that i want to see him take a year off i want to see him take some time off what he did against dc turned out to work out for him in spades i thought to really fully recover and become the best version that he could by the time that fight came around and he was not punchy in that fight he didn't even go down once in that fight with the dc rematch or the third fight for that matter so for me, I don't think Stipe is really a part of that discussion. I, I know you're not necessarily advocating for it, but I think you're saying that other people will be, including Stipe probably himself, because Stipe is such a tough guy. But I think my issue with Jones in J uh, July is I think he still needs to bulk up, man. I don't think he's big enough. I think he needs some time to bulk up to that weight class. And I know he's been talking about doing it for a while. It's been a year since he's fought at light heavyweight, but he's really only been talking about it seriously, like truly seriously since the end of the summer last year. The The size difference, man, I think he needs to be a solid 245, 250 of muscle to get in there. I am not. Well, I like we're going to get more picograms in the old system if we want to be 250 hey. pounds. Like, well, it takes like, time. It takes time. It's not going to happen overnight. It's not like you're, you're saying it wasn't close. Was Poirier and McGregor too close? Yeah, they shouldn't be doing that. Yeah. Was Usman v. Masvidal one close? They shouldn't be doing that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like I think all they're talking about Lewis at the moment it's for his leverage. a money fight, though. So that's the difference. in the, So the correlation there between those two fights is Masvidal is money. Supposedly, you know, if you look at, I mean, it supposedly sold 1.3 million pay per view buys. I would doubt that it would sell that much this time. And of course, Connor, Miss Connor, is Stipe in that class of pay per view buys? Probably not, but Nganu is. Nganu is a star now, and they need narratives. They need narratives. And what are you going to sell Derek Lewis on? Here's the worst fight of all time, and we're doing it again. <laughs> Buy that pay per view. Here's here's the fight you thought you were gonna get two knockout artists who are on just a fucking tear. Um, who who gets KO'd? I think that's how you sell it. I think people yeah. really quickly once they start watching those highlight reels, just like they did for the second Steep A fight, the fight that happened last night. You and I. Where, well, I, I know you actually picked Stipe, loser. Uh, so, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Uh, but I did not learn my lesson whatsoever from the first Stipe fight. 
partially partially because it was three years you know i thought that Nganu would make some differences you know i thought that the changes would be there not to that extent i don't think anybody predicted the calm scary haunting intelligent high iq version that showed up the complete opposite that fought stipe the first time i don't think anybody predicted that so i'm not i'm not trying to say that i predicted this the way it went down but uh, I think that's a huge factor going into the Derek Lewis fight because people realized we're not looking at the same man that we even saw fight Stipe the first time, much less that fought Derek Lewis. That was a punchy version of him. That was super worried, super tentative. I think he goes for the kill next time, and I think so does Derek Lewis, who also was on the Joe Rogan experience talking about the exact same thing, how he wants that fight back. I think that fight is the fight we thought it would be the first time if they run it back. Absolutely. I think it's an easy sell. What else needs to happen for them to do this Jones fight? Like, I mean, this is perfect. It's right there. John Jones is saying, I want the fight. You just got to give me some money, basically. That's that's all he's well, saying. So you think Jones like, is I mean, bulked up? You think he's ready for heavyweight now? I don't like. I don't think we're ever going to see John Jones at 260 pounds. Like, I mean, let's be honest. Hmm. For a guy who, who floats around 220, 230 yeah. to go to 260, that would be more alarm bells than anything else in the history of John Jones's very, very checkered past when it comes to these things. So, I mean... It's right there. Like they've they've already lost Adesanya Jones. That was going to be one of the biggest fights of all times. But just pricking around and not making the fight happen when it's there, it's looking at you right right in the face. So I feel like if you're gonna go and roll the dice here on Lewis instead of Jones, or you know, anything apart from that fight right now, you you are risking the chance of losing it. Mm. And, and Derek Lewis is a lot better fighter than the guy who fought Francis Ngannou the first time too. Yeah, you know, and this guy hits people and the lights go off. Yeah, same thing with Francis. So. If you're willing to risk all of that on that fight that was a complete stinker, both of those guys agree it was a complete stinker the first time around, go ahead and do it. But we will we'll be mourning the loss of this fight for a long, long time if we don't do it. So you think Jones is ready now for heavyweight? I, what he's saying he's ready. The chat also agrees to that. That he's ready? And says you're wrong, yeah. yeah. I just, they're they're yeah. saying he's at 250 right now and that he's he's ready. <laughs> doesn't need to wait that long. I don't mind. Uh, like, I don't mind people disagreeing with me. That's like, fine. This is not about anything other than money. Like that. That's that's where we are here. Like that's how I feel. It is. Like I, Dana White's pretty much said it too. Well, so let me put forward this case. I think if John Jones goes in at his weight, he's gonna get killed. So there you go. I said it. Well, there, there's the investment. That's why the UFC should pay him the money because then he. Then Francis Ngannou yeah. inherits inherits his greatness. Like I mean, Francis Ngannou's life is already going to be a huge motion picture. It's an unbelievable story. Mm-hmm. If he takes out Steve Miocic and then John Jones, that's worth the money. Mm-hmm. That is worth the money for the UFC. You have a, an iconic African figure, then one of the biggest stars of all time in the sport. I believe he beats John Jones. Yeah. That's the way the UFC need to look at this. You're not making his bank balance bigger. You are investing in Francis right. Ngannou. Yeah, and I totally agree on the the fighter pay stuff. 100%. Is he worth Deontay Wilder money? Fuck yes, yes he is. Fuck yes, he is. He sold way more pay-per-views than that guy has. And yes, Deontay Wilder's had bigger pay-per-views, but he's had him with Tyson fucking Fury. Outside of that, he hasn't even approached a million pay-per-view buys in any of his other fights. You know, the Ortiz fight, none of that stuff. None of it got anywhere near close. I don't even think that broke 500,000 buys. So... Who's a bigger sell? Who's a bigger draw? Deontay Wilder or John Jones? 
John Jones, especially now. John Jones didn't lose his belt. Of course, it was controversial, but I think that increases his stake, the controversy. It works for guys like Mayweather. It works for guys like Connor. It works for anybody who's controversial. I think it works in John Jones's favor, whereas Deontay Wilder has actually, you know, had the most devastating loss and the excuses to go along with it. So absolutely, John Jones is worth Deontay Wilder money. No disagreement there. I just question whether or not he's ready for heavyweight like he's actually big enough you're saying that wouldn't make enough difference in six months or so i think it would make a pretty dramatic difference sounds like the chat agrees with you that's fine but uh any final hard thoughts look, on that hard look, hard look it's all right swings and roundabouts man this game <laughs> yeah there you go <laughs> well um let's see red menace ten dollars three african-born <laughs> champions most of any continent a UFC event in Africa needs to happen. Just think Nganu, Adesanya, and Usman fighting in Africa. The new generation's rumble in the jungle chills. Yeah, so not only that, I mean, Francis Nganu has a lot of options. You know, he's also got the first card in France. They're trying to book that one. They're just waiting for COVID to be over. Um, so, yeah, absolutely. He's got a lot of options uh, for what he can do. And if they could get all three of them together, I mean, you want to talk about striking when the iron is hot, when both of the, when all three of these men are champions. What a blowout card that, that that would be. Absolutely. But it's like, I think they say, Jay, the only place that could literally house the infrastructure of the UFC, the only place where they know they could go in, do a deal with the government and get it going on at the moment mm. is Morocco. Mm. So it's, I think when people are imagining this fight, they're going Cameroon or Nigeria because that's where the champions yeah. hail from. I think it would be Morocco uh, based on, well, the last over the last two years, this has been an ongoing conversation about when will the UFC go there. So just just once people have that in their minds, that it, it's likely be Morocco if they were going to do a uh, an African show. But I mean, if you've listened to Joe Rogan's podcast with Francis Ngannou and his trials and tribulations in Morocco, <laughs> it probably only add to the story, right? That was unbelievable. <laughs> It honestly would, yeah. Jesus Christ. Well, I'm curious to see what what does everybody think about this one. How old is John Jones? Thirty six. No, I th- believe he's thirty three. He's somewhere around yeah, there. I think so. Three, three, four, yeah. Um, prop bet second round KO says Black Sheep. Okay, so he's already got a finish on that one. No way John Jones beats Francis says the final hammer. John Jones twenty million and make them fight December or January. We need Jones to cycle. Oh well. <laughs> He's he's up for my <laughs> argument just for a totally different reason. They're all on steroids. Nate Diaz. I think um, that's what you were suggesting as well, Jay. To be honest. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, I mean, he's calling himself Fat Jones right now. He's literally calling himself that because he is trying to bulk up. I just man, Jones, can we push it back by like two months? Then you don't even have to do Derek Lewis. Let's just give him like two months. I don't know something. A little bit more time. They don't live in Africa. Yes, that's true. They don't live in Africa, but they are from there. They're uh, well, what facts these guys are dropping. Yeah, in the, uh, <laughs> you really got us there. Um, fight in July slash August. Francis took one punch. It, really, that is essentially true. He might have taken a leg kick or something else, but there was one clean punch from Stipe landed. Lewis and Jones have both had plenty of time off. This should be a quick turnaround for Ngannou. He did say he wanted to take a little bit of time off, and he was eyeing July. To be fair, so. That That's seems, a quick turnaround. Yeah, he said he said July, uh, August. That that range is when he wants to fight again. So pretty quick turnaround. Absolutely. I mean, what are we about to be April? So about three months. I mean, talking a couple weeks, right into another fight camp here pretty soon. Um, some people say Stipe got robbed. <laughs> okay, 
uh, funny, funny guy there. Uh, oh my God, Morocco UFC would be so cool. Yeah, there you go. You got some support. Any lazy ladies fancy some Ngannou? I bet they do. Um, let's see. Mad Rochin, I'd love if John Jones wins by terribly biased decision. Okay, so we got some. <laughs> I mean, I'm with you on that one. I thought he lost to Reyes, to be fair. Hey, lads, like, imagine if John Jones did it, though. Like, this is the guy. Like, th- like that is the whole issue here. Mm. This is the greatest fighter in the history of our sport, apparently. You know, that that is a huge deal if he goes up there. Like, I mean, he's risking everything. He's risking all of his legacy. It's like Hoylander. Have you seen the film Hoylander? <laughs> they you take off their head, and then the quickening happens, and you absorb all their experience. That's what this is. <laughs> if, I think that's called if, Dark Souls, if, actually. If Nganu, if Nganu beats John Jones, he can argue that oh, I've bet two of the greatest ever in the heavy in the heavy heavier divisions of the UFC. Like that's what John Jones is asking for money for. I'm giving you the, I'm giving you an opportunity to make Francis Nganu the biggest star in the history of the sport. And, and that's why I think he should be paid above, of course, getting in there with a man who has two rocket launchers on the end of his hand. That's, <laughs> that would be a big, a big issue, you know? SpaceX rocket launchers. Um, well, so let's look at this then. Let me ask you this question. Who does pose the biggest threat? We got, you know, Rosenstruck's real gone. We got Stipe. We got John Jones. Who else comes to mind that would be a real threat for him right now? There's a lot of guys, the up-and-comers I mean, out I there. I don't want to count them out. Yeah, Because they train together. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just, can Gan get himself? Like, I mean, you have to you have to get through one of these other killers. If it's Derek Lewis, if it's someone like that, I mean, that is not easy in this weight class. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it would be a story like that, a real peak of Bill Boxing style where they're very athletic, they have beautiful footwork, yeah. they know how to get in without getting bombed on, and which he did against Jairzinho, which people fa- failed to notice. He would have to fight exactly the same way as he fought Jairzinho to beat someone like Francis Ngannou. Like, he can't, you can't get touched by this dude. I'm surprised Stipe lasted the first round. He, he had yeah. unbelievable power early. Like, that that was Unreal. crazy. He had a head kick. It was mostly the toe that landed, but who would have guessed yeah. that Ngannou would have thrown a head kick like that? He landed a ton, like, while he was trying to get up from the cage, a ton of just big, huge shots. Somehow went through that. He landed one big overhand right on Stipe. Stipe ate that. Just unreal the chin that Stipe showed for that fight. And it just, it just didn't matter. the intelligence of Nganu. The check left counter to finish it. Unbelievable. Oh, man, like, yeah. He's looking at this. He's looking at Stipe throwing, throwing um, he's about to throw it straight at him. And his reaction is to pop that left, beautiful check, check left hook. Like that's, that's amazing IQ. Like anyone who just thinks this guy's a big, strong dude throwing his arms around the place. That that um that fight completely dismantled that argument. Well, that's you know you could have made that argument very reasonably in the Rosenstruck fight, oh, yeah. very reasonably yeah. in the first Stipe fight. But you look at this fight and it's just like okay, when he wants to turn on the technical side, he absolutely can in a heartbeat. I think when he watches something like Rosenstruck, he just knew he could just mow through a guy like that. wasn't worried about the takedown defense. And when he does have to game plan for something like that. He and his team, I mean, you know, credit to his team. You interviewed them, Dewey Cooper, Nick Sick. You know, those guys absolutely crushed it in terms of game planning because it worked to an absolute T, and he followed through on it like a champion truly does. That was a championship performance like we haven't seen in quite some time. Cooper and Nick Sick deserve so much credit here. Like, I mean, and I can remember we put out that video, our inside look at that camp. 
and people poo-pooing this kind of stuff that they're saying about how his awareness has improved so much and his grappling savvy is he enjoys ground and pound. Everyone, I can see the comments, people, ha, 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 go back and look at that now. doesn't seem so silly now, guys. It actually, they, they hit the nail on the head, to be honest. Mm. They they knocked it out of the park. And I'm delighted for all those guys because I feel like in Ganu, uh, people don't usually ask many questions about the team behind him and stuff like that. But I felt like the broadcast, everyone gave Cooper and Nixick the credit they deserve here because what a transformation, what an evolution. Unbelievable. Yeah, you, you, couldn't, you couldn't look at anything to go much better than that. I mean, that's uh, if there's a coach's dream, he stuffed the takedowns. You know, so there was the big question. Could he stop the takedowns this time? Could he, what about his cardio? Because if you watch the end of that first round of the first fight, he's literally looking at his corner like with absolute despair. He's just like, (laughs) I didn't land anything and I'm tired as hell and I've got four more rounds to go. No cardio issues whatsoever. Excellent shot selection. Like you said with that counter, that's what finished him. I do think he might have baited Stipe a little bit there. I wish we could show the replay if we could. You know, we would, but the UFC doesn't let people use footage like that. But there was a point there. So when he was backing up and Stipe landed that left hand, there was a point there where, like, if you watch that replay in slow-mo, it looks like Stipe might have hurt him because he moves a little bit. And I don't think he hurt him at all. I think that might have been a little bit of baiting on Ngannou's part to try to get Stipe to throw another shot. As soon as he threw the shot, the counter was there. It was so calculated. It was so quick. And it was so real time. It was just um, a thing of beauty to watch. Like, I am I was saying this beforehand on Twitter. I'm just totally buzzing from that performance. It's just like, I was trying to sleep after we got done doing the fight companion to get ready for this. And, dude, I couldn't stop thinking about it. It was just, it was just that damn good. But so, I agree with you. To go back to that question that I asked, I would say probably surreal gone. The question is, though, Surreal Gan just fought Rosenstruck, who is another knockout artist that, of course, Francis Ngannou has beaten. And Surreal Gan looked flawless in that fight. But the thing that we didn't see was, you know, the uh, the aggression or the KO power come out. Is he capable of knocking somebody out? Absolutely. He played a very safe game, stayed on the outside, was nowhere near Rosenstruck's. Uh, Rosenstruck was never in that fight. But with somebody like Ngannou, it feels like He's going to need, man, it's, it comes back to that same concept. 25 minutes, a flawless performance versus one or two great seconds from Nganu. And he can play the technical game as well. We could see that version come out. But still, even the technical version of him, even the more measured version of him, killed Stipe last night. <laughs> it's just, it, it kills any heavyweight. Yeah, I just don't feel like when when I'm thinking about you know when you ask me what what beats Ngannou, I just don't think it's like another Ngannou. I don't think it's a situation like where it's a guy with stopping power. I think it needs to be a huge contrast in styles. Mm-hmm. You know, it needs to be someone who can pick their moments and get in and out, and probably is a lot lighter than Ngannou because they need to have that speed. But mm-hmm. as you say, it's an incredible risk you're going to be taking. That's why I think the Joneses, the Gans, might give them the best. Uh, go at the moment. Do I think they beat them after that last night? Are you insane? Absolutely not. <laughs> but, it's, uh, but you you said it too, Jay. Like the questions, right? The whole the whole narrative of this fight last night was: Has he changed? And what were the questions? Mm-hmm. He can't grapple. Um, he has no fight IQ. He has no stamina, and he's he's so egotistical. It's impossible to work with him. 
he's answered all of those questions. Like the very fact that he gets on the mic and he starts saying, I want to put this belt in Cameroon mm. so children will see that they can overcome their adversity and go on to be great like I am. Well, he didn't say that. That would have been egotistical. <laughs> like I <laughs> you know, am. That was, a, that was a general idea. Like I, I think he's answered every single criticism anyone has had of him. And I don't think any sane person today would say that Francis Ngannou, what an ego, out of control. Yeah. No way. He He's paid perfect. a lot of respect. We didn't get a chance to play everything from that post-fight press conference, uh, of course, but he paid a lot of respect towards Stipe. Um, So, yeah, you can, you can ask for much of a, a better win, much more respect, much more class out of a champion. I mean, guys earned it in every way shape and form one of the most mentally tough people on the planet to go what he's gone through to even get to the united states and be where he's at right now and get to france in the first place um it, you couldn't deserve it more than that guy does you just you really can't um michael horowitz is kelly sing steve amy to the octagon that's his <laughs> the singer of the song, right? what are you doing just sitting there mate what are you doing Get off your ass, get a microphone, <laughs> and start fucking singing. I mean, what are you doing here? I don't care. Travis Barker, get on the fucking drums. Get what, what, what are we? I don't care if you're here or not. <laughs> do the song. Megan what Fox, if, what if you don't do a monologue. Kelly, it's your fault. It's your fault. <laughs> Megan Fox, do a monologue of Transformers or some shit. I don't know. Perform yeah. for it. Why are we bringing these people here? Ridiculous. <laughs> Yeah, dude, I, I'll be honest. I was like, oh, that's Megan Fox. Oh, I guess that's Machine Gun Kelly. It tells you my uh, musical understanding these days. We did get a super chat from Michael Horwitz. Hey, Francis Ngannou is the most dangerous man. He's a walking lethal weapon. Very true statements. He's the essence of this guy touches your girl. <laughs> what are you going to do? Uh, wow. Uh, yeah, you got a point there. Um, run away. Just give up. It's like, it's, it's your, yeah, <laughs> PT will take him. <laughs> everyone but pt pt's got this his arm is the same size as my fucking body like Jesus. <laughs> one of his arms my whole body equal absolutely unreal well um let me see what some of the chat is saying here i do want to talk about the co-main event i want to talk a little bit about sean o'malley um let's see Cyril gone could beat francis's andre's revenge i mean it's like what you said it's the contrasting styles super fast super light on his feet can get out of the way very quickly and we did see that against rosentrick it was a master class in staying away from power moving quickly thing is francis is pretty damn fast himself so we'll have to see how that plays out but i do agree that that looks like somebody like that that would be a style on paper that could give them the most potential problems um stipe is a great andre's revenge absolutely agree that you can't take that away from he's done some incredible things in the sport and it's tough to see somebody like that lose just as much as it is great to see somebody like nganu win you get i felt that way in the dc fight when he uh finished stipe or uh, well actually you could say that yeah both directions when you know stipe got finished in the first fight and then when dc got finished and dc's crying backstage you know doing that uh incredible interview with brett okamoto you really feel for both guys. So, yeah, I absolutely agree with that comment saying that he is a great. He absolutely deserves his place at the very top Mount Rushmore of MMA heavyweights. No doubt about it. But don't give him a rematch. Don't give him a rematch <laughs> yet, man. Yeah, I don't, he's got to work his way back to it. He does. I, I just think, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a weird place to be. Jason's hair always looking like a wig. Appreciate you, man. <laughs> Beautiful. What is with the hate? Jesus Christ. People are just Beautiful. so weird about people's hair on, on YouTube. I don't get it. 
Um, kind hey, of where man, the... you were talking about having the bad feelings. It was a kind of a, a kind of a, in the back of everything last night, despite us seeing these great moments for Luke and Ngannou. Ooh. It was tough, right? It's tough seeing Miocic and, and Tyron going out like that, you know, mm. in fights where they weren't, weren't really at the race. I know Tyron came out swinging and stuff, but they didn't go out very well, right? Like, it's, it's tough to see that, isn't it? Yeah, well, that's a great segue then. So what do you make of Woodley's, you know, strategy going into that fight and Luke's performance? It's kind of weird, right? Because I'm sure he was going, look, I need to, to change a lot here. I need to do something really different. And I, I can't lose a fight like I lost the last three. I need to go out here and be exciting. I need to show this value. Mm. And he does that, man. It was, a, it was an incredible fight to watch. He let them go. He had Luke in trouble. Then Luke comes back, gets him in trouble, eventually submits him. But like, I think the, the feeling going away from me was, wow, what an amazing fight. Tyron can still bang. It, it's, you know, it didn't go his way, but he put on a really entertaining fight. And then you're at the post-fight press conference and Dana always going, what's that four in a row? Oh. Mm-hmm. So it's like, so he couldn't have redeemed himself anyway here. You know, it just, it's this day and age. When you look at the, the, the Santos situation, when you look at over him, they aren't keeping these guys who don't have belts around their waists and are commanding $200,000 yes. checks. They aren't keeping those guys around anymore. It's it's unfortunate. And yeah, I, I, I doubt this is the last shake in the tail of Tyron Woodley and the UFC. I can see it probably getting a bit nastier before we have any conclusive situation as to what he will do next. It's unfor- It's very unfortunate. Absolutely brutal stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's one of those things, you know, you're happy to see Woodley go for it and, you know, kind of answer that question, but you see that he paid for it. You know, it, it, it just goes to show that when we're talking about this stuff on social media mm-hmm. and any of our chats saying that he doesn't look like himself, we're also saying that from a very comfortable position sitting down usually, you know, uh, it's, it's not the same when you're in that situation. And that's exactly why, in those past few fights and i'm not saying that was the best version of him against colby against gilbert against usman i'm not saying that necessarily was either but you just say let your hands go there are consequences to it and vicente luque my god did he make sure that those consequences came out in full force and then got that choke at the end of it i mean it was just a uh it, it was a great fight you know it was a barn burner for the you know the time that it did last i mean fire just being thrown back and forth absolutely incredible stuff but i would say probably exactly like what you said the money is there i mean alistair overeem went from headlining an event to being kicked off the roster it was that quick um i i figure we're probably going to see the same fate uh now for woodley unfortunately so you, you hate to see that he's in that discussion for the greatest welterweights of all time went right before usman you know kind of came along he was I would say it was GSP, Matt Hughes, and then it was Woodley. Usman comes along, takes that spot, and now he's in the debate for the second greatest welterweight champion of all time with Matt Hughes, and a lot of people would even put him above that. And uh, so he's right in that discussion, top five welterweight champions of all all time, absolutely. Can't be forgetting about people like Pat Militich, you know, who who brought up— Robbie Lawler, War Lawler, baby. Fifth round, War two, Robbie two Lawler. Two of the greatest ever welterweight title defenses, Robbie Lawler. Yeah. Like, if you want to talk about welterweight champions in terms of entertainment, it's Robbie Lawler, baby. Dude. Like, that, like <laughs> I mean, Rory McDonald and the Carlos Condit fight. Oh, man. Unbelievable. But I will say, this is a teachable moment for the fan base. 
Mm. Everybody was saying over the last three fights, Tyron had like, oh, why isn't he going out in there and, and, and getting these fire fights? Why won't he do that? We've seen him do it in the past. Well, he did it last night, and where does that leave him? Mm. Where, where does that leave him now? He's fought in a different way. He's done everything you guys asked, and what's happening now? He, he's getting handed the door, basically. So you guys get on the likes of Cyril Gann, all these guys when they have these measured, calculated mm. performances, and then when they go out and they do what you want them to do, they're still going to get shown the door. So it's it's a it's a sick game, man. It's the hurt business. Um, Brutal. And it, it's tough to see. Look, it's tough to see a, a guy as great as Tyron eating those shots last night. Like, that's... It's just from someone who's been covering the sport for as long as we have. It's just, it's never a good thing to see, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's again, that same dichotomy. You feel bad for Woodley and you feel great for Luke because Luke is yeah. one of those top tier talents that just hasn't gotten enough respect. And I'm glad we're talking about it now because, we, you know, when we found those tweets and things like that, it was actually really difficult to find people talking about Luke. I feel like he's getting overshadowed again. And part of that is he's being swallowed up in the narrative of Woodley's downfall. You know, he is a terrific talent out there and he is right outside of the top five right now. He just beat the number seven guy. There's Kies in front of him. There's, you know, of course, Stephen Thompson, the whole rest of the top five, but he is right there, deserves his credit. And uh, I'm glad to see him uh, get that stage, get that co-main event and get that out there. And I hope people go back, watch that fight, and pay attention to what he did right, not just what Woodley did wrong. So I'd like to give Luke's management, whoever they are, a bit of advice here. We all love how Luke fights, right? Mm-hmm. We all love it. We think he's brilliant. We always watch this guy fight, and we know it's going to be so violent. Every time he gets in there, he wants to stand in the pocket. People are going to bleed. It's going to be scary <laughs> when that's in there, right? But what are we talking about when it comes to Ngannou? We could talk about a million things about Nganu before we even talk about what a Goliath he is, his knockout power. We know his story. Luke's team need to get his story out there. We need to know more mm. about the person, Luke. Because they once once you can relate to someone on a personal level, everything else becomes so much better about them. And that's the one thing I'd say with Luke. A lot of people don't know enough about this guy to really embrace him. And I, I think that's the way they need to go about this. Tell me about Luke. What is it about him other than he's in the most incredibly violent fights in the world in the history yeah. of the welterweight division? We want to know more about the guy so we can have more skin in the game. That's the only thing I'd suggest in terms of Luke's management. Tell us more about him. What, what's appealing about him? What matters to him? What does he stand for? I think that would make, help a lot of the fan base get on board with him. And to be fair, I mean, you know, to Woodley as well, guy's got a cast iron chin. I mean, like... Uh, when I interviewed Stephen Thompson, he said that he broke both of his hands on that man's head. <laughs> you know, like didn't go out, got dropped. <laughs> What's that? It's from spitting bars in the studio. It's just the job <laughs> all, all supported. Dude, I mean, he speaks English tremendously well too. I mean, you he know, does. you want to talk about marketability and things like that. The guy is poised for Pretty greatness. Yeah, like even you just hear him breaking down his own fight, you can hear it. You know. The guy knows what is going on. He understands. He speaks well. He fights well. He's incredibly exciting. Guy deserves more spotlight, 100%. But um, then let's talk about Sean O'Malley. Sean O'Malley is coming off that you know tremendously controversial fight with um, Cheeto Vera. More so, the controversy is based around his comments afterwards, saying that he did everything right, that he was still undefeated, and it was all about mentality. Um 
yeah, so what do you make of his performance and how does that change any of that narrative, if any? Yeah, I mean, it reminded us all what we all wanted to see from O'Malley as soon as he came off the contender series. He's one of the best fighters in the world to watch. Without mm-hmm. a doubt, that's where he hits that flow. He is unbelievable to watch. He does things we haven't seen before. What about these little lookaways he's doing? Look away, <laughs> bang, kick. Like, I mean, it's great. He is an unbelievable... Once he steps into that octagon, he's one of the best in the world to watch. And it's great to see him get back to winning ways. And all I'm thinking about now is, look at all these amazing strikers up towards the top of this division. Corey mm. Sandhagen, Piotr Jan, Cody Garbrandt, man, Rob Font, Jose Aldo. There's so many amazing fights to put Sean O'Malley in. And he's still got to climb the whole ladder, right? Like he's only entering the rankings and there's such a ladder there. There's also the Vera fight, which a return trip I think a lot of fans will be interested in. But um, it was pretty much a bludgeoning of Thomas Almeida. It yeah. was 15-minute destruction. I, I thought if one thing took away from it, and it wasn't O'Malley's fault at all, it was just that last shot. Mm. Like, I mean, it's not O'Malley's fault. He's out to put on a clinic. He's out to put on a showcase performance. But it's just weird to consume a sport where you're like, that guy's on his back and he's not even looking at O'Malley, and he's allowed to run across the whole octagon and plant a coffin nail right in his head. Like, that's... That's just unsettling, right? Like, yeah. the walkaway KO, done it three times or something in the fight. I think he finished Thomas Almeida nine times over the three <laughs> rounds. So I, that just made me feel weird about it. It's not O'Malley's fault. And look, it's probably not even the ref's fault after seeing what happened after the first walkaway in the first round. It's just all over the place, yes. a bit of a mess. And, um, yeah, MMA, eh? Bloody hell. Well, so... If I had to guess, if I were to play matchmaker here, I do think the Cheeto fight makes a lot of sense because obviously Cheeto's coming off of a loss. For him, it's probably the biggest fight that Cheeto could be in, and I'm sure Sean would love to get that win back. I'm absolutely sure of that. Another one for me that stands out, let's say that fight doesn't come together. It's somebody who's ranked number 11, so it's a big jump up for O'Malley, and it's a big name for Marab to make his name off of. And I think Marab is a tremendous talent. People were talking about people like Casey Kenny, uh, you know, that was, of course, before the Cruz fight and how great he was as a prospect, but Marab dominated him. Marab mm-hmm. is one of those guys in the division, Sambo background, beautiful, beautiful wrestling technique on top of it. Guys just going to stranglehold you. I want to see that tested. I want to see that. What does Sean O'Malley look like against somebody like that? We, we keep hearing about his jiu-jitsu game. We keep hearing about how good he is on the ground, but we're just not seeing it because he doesn't prefer to contest the fight there. So what happens if we see him up against somebody like that who has incredible pedigrees on the ground? That's a super interesting fight to me. So I say Cheeto or Marab. Yeah, on board. That's a brilliant. That's a brilliant show, and and I guess the thing about Merab as well, which makes it really intriguing, Jay, is he's smothering the fire, right? Oof. Like everything at Sean O'Malley happens at the end of his range, Oof. and when you watch Merab fight, he's just suffocating dudes. <laughs> he's just on them. Ah, ah, he just won't go away. So I think that would be amazing, and he's as tough as old boots too. So um, yes, that would be an amazing style matchup. I love that. I didn't even think of it. That's brilliant. He's also like the happiest dude on the planet. Like, uh, I I only got a chance to talk to him one time at a scrum last year, and he's just like the, the happiest, go luckiest guy on the planet in the best way possible. He's like he, really cool dude. So I'd love to see him get that opportunity, and love to see Sean O'Malley test it. It's great for both careers. Yeah. So I mean, it's just a matter of time. So what Sean O'Malley said is he wants to fight one more time this year. 
Seems pretty reasonable. Try to set that up for the fall or something like that. I think that sounds pretty reasonable. So, um, any other fights on the card? So a lot of people. Oh, so Michael Horowitz actually gave us a super chat, and I wanted to hold this. Um, he said seeing Worthy getting getting knocked out was so satisfying. He beat my teammate Adam Ward, who beat Makwan Amir Khani in 2013. Uh oh. So we got some rivalries there. I got gotcha. you. I mean, Malarkey was coming off a two fight skid in the UFC. His only two fights did not see that coming. Lands a beautiful no left hand, picture perfect. Kama Worthy just falls flat forward. People were calling it the um, <laughs> the Rick Fair uh, Rick Flair flop. That's a pro wrestling thing that he would do, where he would just intentionally fall forward. Kind of disrespectful, but it's also kind of funny. Um, <laughs> that did happen. Uh, yeah, so great performance for Malarkey. Uh, obviously, I like Kama Worthy. Kama Worthy came in. The Devontae Smith fight is a tremendous underdog. He became like the upset guy, but now he has this loss to Atman Azaitar, who is minus his potato bag incident or whatever the hell went on with that. Potato. <laughs> Woo! Potatoes. Hell yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Like, so just to explain that to anybody who's wondering what the fuck we're talking about. So there was this whole incident where he got fired from the UFC for some random guy who was not credentialed to be at the event as part of his team, as a part of his crew, didn't have credentials, anything like that, just snuck in and he scaled across the facade of the building, went across two or three different balconies. This is Dana White's description with a mysterious bag. Nobody knew what the hell it was. So presumably he's trying to smuggle something in. And lo and behold, the official reports say they were potatoes inside of his bag. What the fuck? Like, I don't understand that. <laughs> Nothing here makes sense about this. But that's who Kama Worthy lost to. And now he's lost to Malarkey. He's in a really weird, tough spot. Uh, but... He's also an incredibly exciting fighter. Hopefully, we'll see him return to form. But the knockout artist, that's the thing. You live and die by that sword sometimes. And Kama Worthy is certainly uh, falling onto it in some unsavory ways. So, any other fights stand out to you before we part ways? Um, Abu Bakr and Amaga Madoff looked Ooh. absolutely brilliant. Uh, beautiful striking performance over the first two rounds. Took him down in the third. Very, very good performance. Um, I think... Uh, Alex Jaychuk and Bukowskis was a, a great fight too, but I feel like Modestus will be a little bit disappointed. That was a very close fight. Mm. Uh, was it a split decision in the end? Um, could have really went either way, all European affair and a lot of hype, obviously, in the UK with with uh, Modestus coming from the Cage Warriors lineage and being a champion there. So uh, I'm sure he'd be disappointed. That's his second loss in a row. It gets into a difficult situation when you're on a two-fight skid. So uh, mm. a tough one, but really entertaining fight, I thought. A great firefight. No no, um, no backward steps from either guy, man. They basically just met each other in the middle and fought like dogs for 15 minutes. Really entertaining. Yeah, one of the best fights of the night. The One of the uh, more controversial ones, but I do think deserves the credit, is Barry All. His performance over uh, Azaitar. Not yes. related to uh, Ottman, but he had an incredible performance, just absolutely smothered. Azaitar on the ground and unfortunately the ref stoppage was one of the weirdest ones I've ever seen like where he just stopped in the middle of a striking exchange to pick up his mouth guard and Weird. he did it in the weirdest way too he was just like uh? like it, it, it was like it was it was like he was in training he didn't realize he was in the middle of a fight and that makes sense for somebody who's knocked out and they're just motor functions are somehow still going you know 
And so uh, I thought that fight should have been stopped a lot sooner, but I don't want that to overshadow what Barry all did. That was a great uh, way to open the card in terms of his performance and what he did right. So I think that deserves some shine despite the controversy. But yeah, make sure there aren't any uh, other last lingering comments here. We're about to cut it off. We will be uploading an official uh, autopsy version of this to the main channel, which is cut, which, you know, more people tend to prefer for that. You guys are the real OGs. You guys are hanging out on the extras channel, enjoying the live chat. So you guys are enjoying the extended version of this. Um, MMA fighting recommendations got me here. Good to see Pizzi. Oh, wow. Yeah. So if you hadn't been paying attention, that was probably the last place you saw Pizzi. Um, if you're, you know, more of a casual fan. I'm fucking everywhere. You're joking me. Since MMA fighting, BT Sports, BBC, Men in the Myth, ESPN, The Athletic, but most importantly, MMA on point, of course. That's right, baby. That Men in the Myth podcast was great, by the way. I'm a huge fan of uh, Sean Alshadi and Chuck Mendenhall. Got a chance to listen to that. There's some great stats that Sean Alshadi was throwing out there. The kind of stuff. <laughs> Sean always just whips them out of nowhere. I'm like, what? It's <laughs> like, dude, I need to take some notes, man. This guy's this guy's <laughs> crushing it. Yeah, we OG says Mike Patello. That's right. Appreciate you. Jarno, uh, full-blown internet bum. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, he said, um, not that I'm surprised by the lack of IQ. Are you talking about Burial? I don't know who he's talking about. Or is he talking about talking Azaitar? About who, who, who had the lack of IQ? I don't know. They're arguing in the chat, so go for it, guys. You guys can have at it. <laughs> What's that? I just told him to rip each other's faces off for all I care. <laughs> uh, we're going to wipe the floor with your serves, piss all over your faces, to quote White Truth's <laughs> best friend off of The Office, um, because I watch that show too much. Uh, O'Malley needs to fight a winner, so there's the Marab fight. That's what Jonathan uh, Mercado says, so I tend to agree. Great work, guys, says El Aliyah. Good to see you in here, El Aliyah. You're an OG. I see you in here all the time. Uh, Chat Wars says Brandon Sanchez. Well, cool. Well, with that, I really appreciate everyone joining us today. I think we've had a tremendous card. That card delivered on so many different levels, so many different fights, so many different looks. Um, you know, we saw Miranda Maverick. We didn't even talk about her and how incredible her, her performance was against somebody who had way more experience. You know, she'd beaten the likes of Courtney Casey, Hannah Cyphers, people that had way more experience inside the cage. Miranda Rabbit, Miranda Maverick is coming from Invicta. One against Pearl Gonzalez. Um, she was a champion over there in her last fight. That was her last one. Uh, a real bright spot. So we saw prospects. We saw new people uh, really come to the fore in terms of where they're at in the division. Uh, really great stuff. So one last super chat comes from Corrupt Gaming. With how the main event ended, do you think Stipe should get the trilogy? Francis versus Jones is the fight to make next. Appreciate the videos, man. So we did talk about this a little bit earlier. No, I don't think Stipe should get the trilogy. I think we should wait for that. And I think we should wait a little bit longer for Jones. And yes, I do think he should take the Derek Lewis fight in between. I know that's not popular with the chat, but that was my take. We'll leave you with uh, yours, Pizzi, who agrees with me, as you can tell uh, by his you know, nonverbal communication here. I don't, I don't think we got to worry about Stipe in terms of getting the next fight because he just got brutally KO'd. He's not going to be medically cleared for six months. The problem is... The likes of this Lewis thing and Stipe being back in six months, that's what's going to obscure the Jones fight. Mm -hmm. Right now, we need to make the Jones fight. 
if he is all all Dana is bringing up Lewis for here is for leverage because he can say the John Jones John John Jones will say I want X amount of money and he will say well Derek Lewis will do it for this amount mm-hmm. and you don't move the needle this will move the needle anyway and then once that if that fight happens in July like Engano wants will be like oh well then the next one will be Jones if he wins because that's another thing Derek Lewis could come in and derail everything if you put that fight on now and right so say it all goes according to plan Engano wins. Then Stipe becomes available, and he will be the leverage point. He'll be like, John, do you want to take this fight? John be like, yeah, I just want this amount of money. He'll be like, Stipe Miocic, immediate rematch. Like, he deserves a rematch. What are we going to do? So that's why I think those guys are important in this situation. Dana doesn't want to play ball with Jones, and I think he really should because this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. We've already lost Israel Adesanya v. John Jones. Let's please not lose Nganu v. John Jones. Mm. Yeah, he weighs about 230, cutting down to light heavyweight. So, I mean, I don't think it's too much to ask to go to 250. 20 more pounds of muscle? I don't think that's crazy. Oh, yeah, 35 years of age or something? Yeah, that's that's pretty difficult, Jay. <laughs> hey, I'm 35 in May, and I'm fat, so there we go. Um <laughs> Well, anyhow, uh, yeah, I really appreciate the chat with you guys. This is a blast of a weekend. Really enjoy doing this with you guys. We'll be back. Um, we got a couple new videos coming out this week, a couple new series. We're working on a breakdown. There will be a breakdown on this channel. Uh, if not tomorrow, definitely Tuesday. We'll take our time on this first pilot version of it. Uh, hopefully tomorrow, though. And uh, so shout out to Bailey and on working that up. Shout out to you for everything that you've done this week. If you have not seen it yet, it is definitely not too late to go watch PT's piece that he did covering the coaching. If you're wanting to know how we got to this version from the first version against Stipe with Nganu, watch that piece. It's on the main channel. It's only our second most recent video on the channel. Check it out. You will not regret it. But uh, shout outs to you, PT. Shout outs to the chat. Everyone who gave super chats, regular chats. Lawton for doing this crazy schedule, unsustainable. We need an A and B team for these things. Appreciate you guys. You all have a great Sunday. Peace out, homies.